I only got the invite uh, once I text you. Weird. All right, forget it. I was gonna like see, type see, it into my see. notes and then just copy and paste it each time, so I know it's right. <laughs> but you know, there's there's so many things to forget as we've discussed. I think before I was gonna say, save me to your your Google Chrome autofill settings. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it doesn't. Like I said, it must be a, a special window that doesn't recognize the stuff like that. I mean, I'm bad with that too. It took me like five years on the phone that I currently have to finally hit. You know what? Yes, remember my debit card. <laughs> yeah, I still, I think on my phone, I I'm do just that, leery but, about it. Yeah, you know? Yeah, I know. Same. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that stuff get leaked, gets leaked <laughs> all the time. That's what they're after. <laughs> yeah, even though like it gets leaked all the time, even though I don't have kids that are like gonna automatically make Amazon purchases yeah. on my behalf. Yeah. You know, like th- that's that's not gonna happen to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, for some reason, it's different when a website has it because, like, there's some websites where I'm like, "No, nah, I'm gonna enter it each time." You know, like certain foods, certain restaurants we go to where there's online oh, yeah. ordering. Like, I, I'll oh, yeah. put in my I card every time. I, I won't like have a separate like site remember it, but if Google Chrome yeah. is offering to remember it, I'll be like, you know what? Sure, I guess. Yeah, even though the difference is probably negligible, but you know, with nothing. Those, there's yeah. no difference. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all just tubes. Olive Garden probably has better security than Google anyway. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. That's probably true. Like those little places, like there's, you know, <laughs> A, there's, they're not that big of fish in there, you know, so they may not be as big a target, but also there's not as much to protect and so you don't need as much. But exactly. with Google, think there's... of all the people who touch the security there. Like there's no one trying to hack the the hundred and something follower Twitter account of at no hugging. <laughs> but you right. know how many people are trying to hack the Twitter accounts of like, I don't know, Chrissy Teigen. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Pro- probably a lot. Yeah. Probably. I always like, I-, I always think it's funny when people's Twitter accounts get hacked because it just, because of the funny stuff that gets tweeted. I'm like, <laughs> I just pictured them saying that, you know, like I remember a billion years ago, Britney Spears, Twitter, like probably when Twitter was like just one or two years old, Britney Spears, oh, Twitter God. account got hacked and it said stuff like new world order, not, but not like the wrestling team. Like it was, a, it was about the oh, literal yeah. new world. Yeah, order. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want you to be confused. Ted. I was like, you say new world I, order to a wrestling fan and they think something totally different. <laughs> I knew what you mean, actually. Uh, yeah, but it was a bunch of weird. And so I just pictured Britney Spears going, uh, new world order, y'all. I love Satan, or whatever it was being tweeted at the time. <laughs> I'm like, I was like <laughs> down with the government, y'all. <laughs> Anarchy forever, y'all. I mean, come on, it's finally, finally time for me to say it. <laughs> new world order, my favorite wrestling team. We love them down here in Louisiana. <laughs> All right, should we get started? Might as well. All right, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about the Andrea Doria, Season 8, Episode 10. But before that, what's the deal with stuff from our last episode? The abstinence. Uh, First, we had a ton of cameos, uh, the most notable of which was Bob Odenkirk. And we kind of were trying to figure out where he was in his career around this time. And I'd almost like count this as a legit cameo rather than just a... An acting gig for for Bobby O because um, he kind of started his career at eighty in eighty seven at Saturday Night Live. That's when he really hit it big, and he worked there through ninety one when he left to pursue performing. And during his final summer hiatus, I guess before that ninety one season or, or the nineteen ninety to ninety one season, he wrote for a Second City stage show the character Matt Foley, motivational speaker. 
No way. Yeah, that's a I didn't Bob know Odenkirk. that was written by. Yeah. I didn't know that was written by Odenkirk. Me neither. I thought it was just like something Farley. It was like, oh, let's have you know, let me jump around <laughs> and just yell and shout. But no, it was it was a Bob Odenkirk character, which is awesome. Wow. I know. Uh, Odenkirk's friendship with Ben Stiller, whom with whom he briefly shared an office with at SNL. Uh, people forget that Ben Stiller was a, I guess, a cast member at, at a certain point. I don't even remember that really. Um, was he a cast member or just a writer? Let me see. Because I know sometimes, sometimes, because was Odenkirk a writer or a cast member? Odenkirk was a writer. And the way I read it, it was like he left to pursue performing is that he's one of those writers who wanted to be on and they were never going to give him his shot. So he was like, all right, I'm out. Uh, Well, then maybe, maybe Stiller was just a writer and they paired them together because like freshman writers together. I don't know why I'm like uh, picturing a title card for him, you know, like, and Ben Stiller. Um, oh, he was Bob fe- Odenkirk. Yeah, <laughs> in 1989, Stiller wrote and appeared on SNL as a featured performer. Mm-hmm. So it would be one of those people okay. at the end, and featuring Ben Stiller. However, since the show did not want him to make more short films, he left after four episodes. Dang. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah, I didn't I, know. I think his career turned out pretty okay. Yeah. So uh, it seemed like he kind of got like a Lonely Island style start because he was doing like. Weird, these weird little 10 minute short films he did one called the hustler of money a parody of the martin scorsese film the color of money and <laughs> that's pretty much where he started doing his tom cruise and being obsessed with with tom cruise which was kind of his uh one of his character traits in like the early you know the the, the mid to late 90s i'll say um yeah and that th- that short got the attention of snl which aired it in 87 and then two years later they offered him a spot as a writer and then he became a featured performer as well, I guess, because he was appearing in those short films. But yeah, interesting that they aired the Hustler of Money without Stiller as a writer or cast member. Yeah, yeah, it is. What could you even imagine that happening today? Like, oh, that this video went super viral. I know they're not on our payroll, yeah. but we're we're gonna air it. Yeah, I can't see the cast being down with that. It's like I, you know, I wrote like six sketches yeah. this week, and none of them are going on, and yet you're outsourcing our comedy now. You know. Yeah. <laughs> kind of weird. Yeah. I see the cast's ego, and rightly so, like being so big. It's like, no, that, especially these days, it's like, no, let them upload that on YouTube or something. Let's do our thing, you know, with our people. <laughs> let me see. Oh, yeah. So when he shared the office with uh, Stiller, that led him to being cast for the Ben Stiller show in 92. So again, keep in mind, this is 1996. So the Ben Stiller show, as, as we brought up last episode, was had already been on for one season. And the, the reason why Wikipedia or IMDb or whatever we were looking at last week looked weird, because it said ran from 92 to 95, it ran for mm-hmm. one season, and then a lost episode ran on Comedy Central in 95. They, like, re-ran all 12, oh. and they found a 13th episode that they put on, yeah, uh, that I guess wow, so never there was aired. only there was only, like, even including the lost episode, there was only 13 episodes? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I know. It, it's always those weird little shows that you know, kind of pop up and go away and then they get this cult following and then you realize just how little of them there are. Like Freaks and Geeks is another great example. It's like that show is is just absolutely gigantic and it only... With one season. Yeah, like a half a season. I think there was like 16 episodes or something and it's just like worshipped at this point and rightly so. I mean, and look at all the people that it launched. I mean... The fact oh that God. when you tell people that Look show at all had the people yeah. on that show, no, like when people discover it now and they're like, "Why wasn't anybody watching this show with James Franco and and Seth Rogen and Judd Apatow and Paul Feig?" And you know, it's like, uh, well, we don't know. We don't know why no one was watching it. <laughs> 
Yeah. 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 That's the funny thing these days, too, is like, not to get off on too much of a tangent about a different show, but um, it got like... <laughs> what if, else is new? If it, if it was getting the viewers today that it got back then, it would be... It would still be on the air because they had, you know... But the fact that like shows like Seinfeld or whatever were still getting twenty million is like no, you got to get twenty million. Eight yeah. million is not good enough or whatever it is. The, uh, I know I brought this up in uh, multiple past episodes, but that's like another episode or that's another uh, joke made in one of the episodes of BoJack, oh. <laughs> uh, where like the the premiere of like their sitcom in the nineties. Uh, they're like, we'll be doing great just as long as we don't fall below a paltry ten million. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, holy shit! Could you imagine like a show getting 10 million viewers I know, right now? I know, <laughs> insane. Uh, so then, when he when that was canceled, he got a job at Conan O'Brien, late night with Conan O'Brien in '93 and '94. Then he was in The Cable Guy as Matthew Broderick's brother. That's another movie you go oh. every time you see The Cable Guy, you're gonna see somebody else who became famous in between the last time you saw it. It's like, wow! I remember like revisiting that movie, which by the way is really underrated. When it came out, it was sort of like it was mismanaged by the studio because they were like oh damn it people don't want to see serious jim carrey like even though he was <laughs> funny they don't want to see this jim carrey let's put just like make it seem like it's funny and so people going expecting a a hardcore ace ventura style comedy were like really disappointed and so that's why the movie yeah. d- kind of flopped but you know it was directed by ben stiller jack black is in it owen wilson's in it and keep in mind this is like 1994 or something like way before wow. these guys popped yeah it's crazy i've, I've seen the cable guy um but it's been oh my god between 10 and 15 years since i've seen it i don't remember anything about it yeah. I, I don't really remember who's in it maybe i should try and track that down and and rewatch it it's worth a rewatch cuz you're going to go this is a really interesting complicated and funny but also weird yeah it's it's a, it's a great movie <laughs> um i highly recommend people revisit it uh, odenkirk met david cross at the ben stiller show and then afterwards they started doing mr show and also in 93 odenkirk was on the larry sanders show for, for a few episodes and then he was on he was on Roseanne he was on Tom Arnold's the Jackie Thomas show which was probably awful awful uh, also in in 96 <laughs> he was a writer on this is another one of those weird cult shows that um, they even made a documentary about it like the funniest writer something like the funniest writers room anyway the Dana Carvey show he was a writer on that and also was oh, you know wow. when you look at the writers room for that it was like Stephen Colbert and um, Louis C.K. controversy noted and Bob Odenkirk obviously so yeah, it's one of those shows where you're like, why didn't anybody watch this? It had to be hilarious. Bob Odenkirk originally auditioned for the part of Phil Totola, the guy who takes it out in episode of season five, episode 16, The Stand-In. He also auditioned for the part of Duncan in season six, episode 10, The Race. But I guess he finally got his break uh, in season eight. Wow. Yeah, episode nine. <laughs> it's unfortunate it came so late. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I'm... I'm it seems like he he had already been on like tons of HBO shows and stuff, and HBO didn't have the clout that they have now. But but still, I'm, I tend to believe that people would go like, "Hey, that's that guy from that thing I've seen at already at this point in '96." Yeah, Kyle Gass. Meanwhile, uh, he plays the smoker outside who does have a line, but he first appeared on screen in a 1988 Seven Up Gold commercial. Uh, <laughs> citation needed on Wikipedia, by the way. If you can, if you can add proof of that. <laughs> wow, I'm sure that exists in a commercial comp somewhere. Yeah, you know, I know, it's gotta. And he made his film debut two years later in Brain Dead, a 1990 psychological horror thriller that stars Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton. I never knew they appeared on screen together. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know. When I saw, I was like, well, I want to see this just because Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton are in it. Because <laughs> I tend to fuck Kyle Gass. I know. Uh, and then he he was in Jacob's Ladder. Uh, uh, he was the couch potato in The Cable Guy. So another person in The Cable Guy that you're going to spot, probably in the background. Or something. He was in Biodome with Jack Black as Tenacious D. I don't remember which other. We've talked about Biodome before, and now I can't remember what other Seinfeld cast member was in it. Oh, uh, but I have no idea. That's the Pauly Shore Stephen Baldwin <laughs> joint. Seinfeld is like his first TV credit. So even though he'd been in a couple wow. of movies and stuff, Seinfeld is... I could have sworn I saw him on Mr. Show, because I know I've seen Jack Black on Mr. Show, but I guess maybe I just associate him so much with Jack Black, I'm like, oh, Kyle Gass had to have been on hmm. it, that I'm like... I, but I couldn't find that he was on Mr. Show anywhere you know now i guess i just have to go back and binge that yeah is that available to watch anywhere i know um i know the downvoter has all the all the dvds yeah i have one and two on dvd and then i never caught up after that i would love if it was on hbo i mean that makes total sense but i don't know maybe there's rights or something involved where they don't have it i have no idea i would love to see that again though but i could have sworn i was like oh jack black was on it kyle gas was on it Uh, i don't know why he wasn't uh, the Yankees players, we knew Derek Jeter. We recognized him. He spent his entire 20-year career with the New York Yankees from 95 to 2014. So this was like, you know, filmed the summer before his second season, I guess. Yeah, that sounds right. Is it? Is that when he really blew up? Um, or, or was he already a really hot player? Now I don't know. <laughs> okay. You, it's okay. We yeah. don't need to look that up. Uh, you, and- you know who know this? Cat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm out of my depth in, in sports already uh, by talking about the new york yankees i'm like what are that who are they um bernie williams was the other guy he played his entire 16 year career with the new york yankees from 91 through 2006 so he still had 10 years he was like pretty much smack dab in the middle of his career uh, at this point and that's all i cared about to look at the yankees players but at least we know the other one now yeah. is bernie williams <laughs> was did jerry do the homework bit in a previous episode from what I found I couldn't I, I was obviously thinking about male unbonding which was season one episode four because that's when he has oh, to help God. his nephew with his or he has to tutor his nephew in geometry is an excuse he gives to not hang out with Joel Hornick but nothing in there resembles the homework bit so I don't know what I was thinking of but it did sound familiar <laughs> but maybe it just sounds like another one of those satirical you know takeoffs whenever Jerry writes hack material like why do they call it Ovaltine? What's the deal with Ovaltine? You know, I, he must have said something like that before that I was just getting it mixed up with. Uh, Dr. Ben was based. So that's all the homework that we had. Uh, Dr. Ben was based on a writer, uh, Steve Corrin's friend, who failed the licensing exam to be a doctor multiple times. So I'm sure that happens. Uh, Jackie Childs actor Phil Morris said he found it very gratifying to be an episode in which his character takes on the tobacco companies because he said he was made fun of his entire life because his name is the same as a tobacco brand, Philip Morris. Phil Morris. Oh my Philip god. Yeah. Didn't put that together. <laughs> well, kids will find a way to make fun of anybody for anything. So <laughs> Oh yeah. Kids are so mean. Yeah. I'm not surprised that somebody was like, Oh my god. Guys, bully meeting. Oh. Phil Morris. Philip Morris. It was in front of us the whole time. <laughs> Th- this 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 guy deserves it. Yeah, yeah. Let's give it to him. Um a cameo we missed was Alex Trebek. And I can't figure out because he's listed as uncredited on IMDb and Wikipedia as in the episode. And so I couldn't figure out if it was old pre-recorded audio. So it is his voice, you know, or if it was newly recorded for the episode. And 
I went to j-archive.com where you can find people have meticulously, just as Jeopardy fans would, as you'd expect them to, they have meticulously cataloged every question ever asked on Jeopardy. Holy shit. Who answered it, if they answered it correctly, or if it was, as they say on the site, a triple stumper. In which case, Alex Trebek would have to say something like, we were looking for tungsten or Wolfram. Because he only repeats the answer if nobody gets it right, you know? Yeah. So I went through some of the questions that George, you know, that, oh that Alex Trebek God. says. And tungs- yeah, yeah. tungsten was an answer on at least one episode in 1985, uh, prior to this one being filmed in 96, you got to imagine. But it was answered correctly by the current champ on that episode, Tony Hess. So Trebek wouldn't have needed to reveal we were looking for what is Tungsten or Wolfram because it was answered correctly. So the archives might be incomplete. Um, Wow. This is 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 in-depth homework. Holy hell. Once I started, I was like, I'm not doing this for all of them. And then I did it for all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Even the ones. Of course you did. Of course you did. Even the ones that would not require any audio from Trebek because there's a couple times when you know, when George answers and Trebek from the TV goes, that's right. Um, so the other one that uh, Trebek says is, we're looking for who is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And in 85, so the same year that Tungsten was on there, Trebek would have had to say it because in 85, it was a triple stumper. In 86, it was a triple stumper. So there's two occasions there for them to grab that audio. Um, so what I'm thinking, but I, I couldn't go back and compare it. I didn't get that far into it. You know, like somebody analyzing the, the Zapruder film, like, all right, I need to layer the audio on top just to see if it's the same. I didn't get that far into it, but by the way, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is an answer. If you know, if you're ever on Jeopardy and you don't know the answer, say who is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? He pops up a lot. He pops up a lot. Um, because in 87, 88, 90, 92 and 93, those were the only episodes where that was an answer before 96, and everybody got it right. But the but there were two yeah. triple stumpers in 85 and 86. So, yeah, the other ones that would not require Trebek, Chicken Kiev was an answer on one episode. What is Chicken Kiev, uh, which a guy named Tom did answer in 1988, and Borax was a question in 87, and I didn't write that down whether it was a triple stumper or not, but it wouldn't have required Trebek anyway, but it did, it did appear on the show, so... Uh, yeah, I, I'm so I'm landing on this is old audio, just on the okay. who is Sir okay. Arthur Conan Doyle. But I would love a definitive answer to this one day. Who could give that to us? I don't know because I'm sure Jerry doesn't remember. You know, no, absolutely not. <laughs> but there's got to be like one of these production people that are on Instagram, you know that that might remember. Like, oh, I was in charge of ADR, and uh, no, we didn't get Alex Trebek, or yes, we did get out, you know, something like that. We'll have to track somebody down one of these days. Um, Edward R. Murrow High School, where which plays uh, Edward R. Murrow Junior High School in the episode, they have a very notable graduate in the Seinfeld universe. Marissa Tomei went there. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> weird coincidence? Yeah, yeah. I wonder. Uh, I mean, they couldn't have done that on purpose. It's just, uh, just a weird coincidence. But also, it's, got a, you know, it's known for its theater program, uh, so it's kind of an artsy uh, high school, and it has... Uh, lots of other people. Adam Yawk of the Beastie Boys, MCA, went there. Uh, um, Zoe Lister-Jones, very funny actress. Darren Aronofsky, the director. Uh, uh, Jean-Michael Basquiat, the uh, famous artist. And rapper slash actor, 
Joey Badass. <laughs> wow. Joey these Badass are all these are all graduates of, of the real high school? <laughs> yeah, Edward Harmoreau High School. Jeez. Yep. I mean, I guess like a, a high school in New York City is going to have some prolific graduates. Yeah, if you look up any PS in <laughs> NYC, you're going to find, yeah, like, oh, wow, okay, just because everybody's from New York City. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Throughout his scenes at the diner, Smart George is seen carrying around the textbook Chaos and Fractals, New Frontiers of Science, which was named the most outstanding book in the mathematics category by the Association of American Publishers in 1992. So, do you want to be as smart as George? It's funny, whenever I looked it up, I was like, oh, what's Chaos and Fractals about? And it's like, Chaos and Fractals looks at the chaos involved in fractals and the fractal science surrounding chaos. I'm like, Jesus okay, Christ. Okay, someone like me obviously wrote the synopsis of this book because <sighs> they're like, hey, you, uh, hey, write what this book's about. Like, okay, like cracks it open, looks at table of contents, mind blows up. Uh, chaos and Fractals is about the fractals of chaos. <laughs> hmm, how, how can we come up with a better description for chaos and fractals? Hmm, the gang discovers that there's chaos with a bunch of fractals. Exactly, and that chaos is inherent <laughs> In the fractal nature of chaos. <laughs> oh, fuck. nailed it. I'm going to lunch. Uh, it's, it is revealed that smoking is not allowed in monks in this episode because of the Clean Indoor Air Act of 1995. But in but it has but before prior to 1995, it ha people have smoked in monks in the boyfriend. A full ashtray can be seen on one of the tables. And in episode one. Uh, I'm sorry, episode four of season one, the stock tip, George is smoking a cigar in there after he makes as much money to buy a Hyundai on that stock tip. Hmm. Yeah. And that's all I got. All right. I did find one other thing um, as you were talking. Mr. Show, yeah. all four seasons available in HD on HBO Max. I figured. I figured. And this is not an ad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless, in fact, we urge you not to get HBO Max unless yeah. they want to give it to unless, us for free. Exactly. Did you see they're doing a uh, an ad tier? This is not an ad. For, this is not an ad about the ad <laughs> tier. No, I didn't. Yeah, like it's going to be ten bucks, and then there's going to be commercials. I guess they're still going to charge ten bucks and show commercials. Are you fucking kidding? I know. Sounds crazy. It's ridiculous. And you don't get to see the first run stuff, which is going to run out by the end of the year anyway. Uh, but you don't get like, you know, you wouldn't be able to watch Mortal Kombat or The Matrix or whatever is going to come out uh, the day of, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they, I wouldn't pay 10 bucks. I would just pay, if I still have to watch commercials, I'd just pay the 15. Yeah. I think I would, too. That I'm like five extra bucks. And that's probably what they're, what they're expecting. You know, people go to look up the, oh, ad, ad tier. And like, well, I kind of want it now anyway. And. What's an extra five bucks a month? That's not going to break me, you know. So yeah, they could definitely, within reason, make a five dollar tier with no live, no first run, uh, only like classic, uh, select content. Yeah. Uh, do like the first couple of seasons of Sopranos. Do the first couple seasons of Game of Thrones. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you have any other homework or anything? Uh, no, I, I did have a little bit of news. I saw that this, okay. this may be as close as we get to a, a Newman rubber duck, but a Dennis Nedry officially licensed Jurassic Park rubber duck is being released. What? So, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Yeah, and better than a Funko Pop, if you ask me. So get your Dennis Nedry <laughs> rubber duck and then just pretend it's Newman if you want. <laughs> 
Oh my god. And then I wanted to mention because I guess this is our yeah, this is we're recording this episode um for us it's the week after the 2021 Oscars and I asked on our Twitter account what's your prediction for best picture? The nominees were Rochelle Rochelle, Death Blow, Firestorm and Cry Cry Again <laughs> and uh, viewers did not fall for the obvious Oscar bait of the indie film Cry Cry Again because Death Blow was named best picture. <laughs> Yes. With 45% of the vote. Wow. Yeah. When's the last time like an action blockbuster won Best Picture? I know. Jeez. People are ready for it. Rochelle Rochelle <laughs> came in second, uh, then Cry Cry Again, and Firestorm bringing up the rear. I can't believe that. Wow. Even with the part where the guy jumps out of the helicopter and turns around and, and shoots back at it. That was awesome. That, that was Oscar worthy Fire- right there. Firestorm filling in the Sound of Metal role. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's all I got. Okay, uh, this is, as this is coming out, this is the first episode after our Sinfeld remastered uh, bonus episode that we did with Austin and Colton Stock of uh, Rare Bird Games Studio. Is that, did I get the name right? Yeah. Rare Bird Games? Yep. Okay. Really awesome, guys. I, I fully expected us to talk for like 15, 20 minutes, and uh, we ended up talking for a full hour. Um <laughs> But uh, if you haven't yet listened to that, it's just in the regular feed. Uh, don't doesn't cost anything. We don't have a Patreon. Uh, we're not going to charge you to listen to this thing. Um, so yeah, go listen to that. It was uh, it was really fun talking to those guys and hearing uh, what they have planned uh, for uh, the the next upcoming months until they release uh, the Sinfeld game. Yeah, yeah. What the next steps are? Where where we go? And what the hell? You know, like if you watch if you watch the trailer, like pretty much yeah. everybody and went. <laughs> What the hell? I believe a lot of the hell is answered in this podcast, which is which was very helpful. That's what I wanted to get down to the bottom too. I was just like, yeah, what the hell? The hell you can Your, yeah. Yours was uh less what the hell and more why. Yeah, yeah, why? Is, we, we answer but not why, like, why no, the hell, what yeah, the not, hell? Not a condescending uh disrespectful why. It was just like a please no, fill me in. Why? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why a horror game set uh, in Seinfeld? What what is it going to look like, and how it evolved? Yeah, it's it's all those questions and more. Okay, kind if of you answer. have, uh, you have any any other news? No, that's it. All right, if you have never listened to us before, we are not a research heavy show. Despite the last <laughs> twenty eight minutes being almost exclusively research we like to have our questions come up naturally in the run of the show and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework if we miss anything if we egregiously skip over something please send us an email or send us a tweet at no hugging on twitter or no hugging no learning show at gmail.com both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. I mean, I'm watching these episodes for the first time ever. Tim is watching these episodes for the first time uh, after being a life or first time in chronological order, I should add, uh, after being a lifelong fan for years. Um, if you like the show, you can give us a five star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and we will send you a holographic, no hugging, no learning sticker free of charge. Again, another free thing. You can give us the five-star rating. You could also give us the written review. Uh, just one of those will get... Actually, just uh, you got to do both to get the sticker. Because if you just give us the five stars, we don't see your name. And, and we don't know uh, that you actually rated us or reviewed us. Because um, we have more ratings than we do written reviews. But 
uh, Apple doesn't like showing us whenever someone's just like, five stars, would you like to write anything? No. <laughs> also, if you don't want to put it out on a public forum, you can just email us. Email us some, some nice, encouraging words. That being said, Season 8, Episode 10, The Andrea Doria, original air date, December 19th, 1996. Uh, I was three years, 11 months, and 29 days ah. old. <laughs> One so day shy of my fourth birthday. Um, also weird in this is that it's been four weeks since the last episode aired on TV. Wow. So they took a four-week break. Aired this yeah. episode and then took their mid-season break. Yeah, weird. <laughs> well, why? Why would you break it up like that? I- I'm guessing so people just didn't forget what Seinfeld was. Yeah, perhaps? I mean the, the reruns were still killing. I mean this was like the height I think of NBC's. If you haven't seen it, it's new to you. When they would like, that's the way they would advertise. <laughs> that's literally the way they would advertise uh, reruns. They're like, this week Seinfeld wow. is a rerun. But if you haven't seen it, it's new to you. Which is true, you know, and they were still getting killer ratings with their reruns. So the only thing I can think of is that the abstinence ran on the 21st. The next Thursday would have been Thanksgiving, I think, right? They wouldn't put a new episode on Thanksgiving. There's like football or something, right? I don't know. Um, And so they're like, all right, we'll take Thanksgiving off. Then the next week is there was no reason to not run the week after that. I I can't can't talk about that. But or the um, week after that or the week (laughs) after that. Yeah. So I don't know, but I do know that Thanksgiving probably would have been in there. Maybe that's why. Uh, Tim, if you're counting this episode and every other episode we've got left, uh, we have 35 episodes until we become a, I don't know, what do we become this week? What are we becoming this week? I would just say Freaks and Geeks, but I mean, there probably already is one of those. Oh, that, that's probably well-tread territory, yeah, yeah. as is Mr. Show, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, I wonder if anyone's actually ever tried to do, like, uh, you you remember the game Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon? Yeah. I wonder if ever, anyone's ever tried to do Seven Degrees of Mr. Show. Oh, man. Gotta be. Yeah, there's so many people <laughs> on that show. where That's another one, like the cable guy, where you're like, what? Mary Lynn Rice Cup was on Mr. Show? Like, yeah, a ton. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So that's actually that's actually not a bad premise. Like literally any actor within you could probably even go less. uh, But seven degrees is connected to a specific sketch on Mr. Show. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, it's geez. It's got to be super easy to do. Yeah. That sounds fun. Let's do that. (laughs) Okay. All right. We'll do that. (laughs) Uh, If you're looking at TV Guide the night of December 19th, 1996, you are going to see George wants a better apartment. Semicolon. Jerry learns Newman is hiding mail. Hmm, not bad. We'll see if we can make it better at the end, but I don't know. Uh, We open with our cold open. Jerry and Kramer are walking down the street. Uh, Kramer bird dogs some chicks hardcore. Do you notice that right off the bat? Oh, my God, yeah. (laughs) It's so blatant. I'm surprised he didn't give himself whiplash. I know. I I thought it was going to be part of the scene. I thought the next thing out of his mouth was going to be, oh, Jerry, there's some beautiful ladies in it. Like, it's so... Just it, it just opens the episode so much. I thought it was what it was going to be about Kramer and something with women, <laughs> like, uh, but it's not. It's it's just uh, a Kramer character choice, a Michael Richards character choice. Um, and uh, Kramer has some food. Jerry's about to go into a store. He points out the sign that no foods allowed, and Kramer wants to go in, so he starts scarfing down his hot dog and pretzel, shoving it in his mouth uh, <laughs> before like choking before Jerry realizes. This store doesn't even have batteries, so he walks off as Kramer begins to actually choke. 
I, I love this. Like, he just peers in the door. He's like, nah, they don't even have batteries. Let's go. And it was, I mean, I'm not doing it justice by explaining it because I was laughing out loud at this. It was just pure physical comedy genius by Michael Richards. <laughs> have you have you ever done this? Like, been in the middle of eating something and n- either needed or wanted to go into a store that just didn't allow food? Yeah, I think I, I, think I have. Okay, I I definitely have not to the point of Michael Richards like just shoving my entire meal in my cheeks, <laughs> yeah. but I've definitely like, well, I'm not gonna throw this out. Oh, I guess no. I'll wait and eat it. Yeah. What 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 happens most often is I'll have a coffee or something and I'll want to go into a place. You know, we'll get coffee on our way to oh, yeah. doing something with the kids, and then like I didn't finish it in time for the museum, so I would like chug a giant oh, latte or no. something. Yeah. <laughs> And then are you just buzzing around the whole museum? Uh, no, it just gets me to normal. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just don't fall asleep in the museum. That's the key. But Sarah will like leave oh, hers okay. in the car. She's like, I'm not going to. And I'm like, no. Go, go, go. Jesus. Get my latte bong, woman. <laughs> <laughs> it burns my throat. Um, we open in the apartment. And George comes in ecstatic because he is moving to a new apartment and it's even nicer than Jerry's and it's nicer than Elaine's. He wants to call her, but Jerry tells her him that she is on a blind date or a setup. And how did you feel about this bit? Because this is a very I couldn't tell if it was being what, with George and Jerry, George and Jerry about, or... the, about, the, about the blind date specifically. Jerry says, oh, you know, they don't want you to call it a blind date anymore. And instead of going, oh, you can't say anything because people get their feelings hurt, I feel like he kind of turned it on its ear and did it in a funny way because he was like, I guess blind people don't want to be associated with those losers. You know, so instead of saying like, oh, you can't say blind date anymore because it's ableist and it makes blind people feel uh, bad that they're, you know, (laughs) I feel like the line, they don't want to be associated with the losers, losers, makes it like super funny and subversive, but still... I mean, just to borrow wow. a term from the 90s, politically correct. You know, I did not even catch this <laughs> um, first time watching yeah. uh, the episode. But yeah, I, I really like that. Yeah, I thought it was, I mean, and just kind of woke for Jerry Seinfeld. You know, it was like, it, I yeah. think it's an appropriate <laughs> joke, you know, where he where he could have been like, oh, you can't even say anything anymore. People get their feelings hurt. But no, he made it. He made it about losers who go on blind dates, which was funny. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, did, yeah. You, did you catch how uh, Jerry is describing George's apartment back to him? I think so. The two bedroom thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, oh yeah, what kind of uh, apartment is it? Two bed, one bath. Make all your friends hate you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So is this? <laughs> let me stop right here because I. By the end, I think I had an answer. But is this apartment <laughs> in George's building? It's literally across the hallway. Okay, it is, okay. It is across the hall from his door. All right. Because when he said it's right across from me, I was picturing a building right across from him. But then... Oh. And then I'll tell you why I was also confused uh, in a second uh, through the episode. But yeah, that's where I landed too, mm-hmm. that it is in it's in his building. And, and now, like you're saying, right across from me means directly across from my door. Like it yeah. Is, yeah. And I, I, I know what you mean, and I'm sure I'll agree with you whenever you bring it up. <laughs> Well, uh, Jerry has to go to Manhattan Mini Storage to uh, with Kramer uh, to put some stuff in storage, and this Manhattan Mini Storage is still there. It's at oh. 543 West 43rd Street, and if you're listening to us in New York, you know Manhattan Mini Storage very well. It is the largest personal storage company in New York. Uh, they have currently 17 locations, and they are known for their bluntly 
liberal ads, which I guess probably play pretty well in New York. <laughs> but let me when I was looking through, I was like, like what? Like what? <laughs> I, when I was looking through this, I was like, why? I'm all for, you know, your politics being whatever, but these don't have anything to do with storage. All right. Let me tell you some of these. Um, some of the taglines include your closet scarier than Bush's agenda. Jesus Christ. Your closet is so narrow it makes Cheney look liberal. We have more wiggle room than Herman Cain's morals, R.I.P. Um, yeah, I'm like, I, okay, those do have to do with storage, but I'm like, why? And I know New York is blue as blue can be, but again, why? You know, I, yeah. I like uh, around um, election season, I always yeah. try and pay attention to uh, the people who are dumb enough to put like the giant billboard sized signs in like the parking lot of their business. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be like a whataboutist and like say like, well, both sides are bad. Yeah. I don't like going to a place, uh, that does that no matter who their preferred candidate is, you know? Cause I just like, don't make your business the front of your political beliefs. Yeah. From what I found is that all it will do is, you know, solidify your customer that already agrees with that and make somebody who doesn't agree with it, not go. All it can do is solidify your base. You know, I, I don't think it ever. Yeah, exactly. Well, that guy's a supporter of this person. I'm going to start going there. Like uh, if I see a sign that uh, for a candidate, I support at a business, I'm like, Oh great. I'm going to still go there, but I'm not going to think like, Oh, I better go to that place if I need this good. It won't make me seek it out, but it will make me feel better about going there. And on the flip side, too, if I see one I disagree with, I'm like, well, why would I give them my money? They're just going to give it to this person that I disagree with, you know? Yeah. And also, like, I, I won't say their exact name uh, because I do not want to get sued for libel mm. or slander. But there is a um, shop that sells pastries mm -hmm. in Erie. Uh, they're like shitty, shitty shop. Like we went there, no gloves, uh, no masks, no hair nets. Uh, they got geez. our order completely wrong and we got two bagels. I mean, pastries. Uh, um, we got, we got two pastries. Uh, they completely fucked it up. And then as we're leaving, we see a sign on the door that says, it's two sheeps oh, in masks god. that says the wolf wants us to wear our masks. Oh god. I'm like get the fuck out of here. Oh, I don't god. even care that your politics suck. Your shop sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's just so th that's the dumbest <laughs> reason not Someone told me to do it. Well, I'm not gonna. Jeez. How are you like, How are you I'm still sorry alive? That I'm sorry that you never got disciplined as a child. I'm sorry you never got told the word no. <laughs> yeah. Holy Fuck. The smallest inconvenience is now literally the same as the Holocaust to you. Like, okay, great. Like, you know, hey, uh, there's a warning label on that bleach. Why don't you, um, you know, show them who's boss? That's hey, you definitely shouldn't drink that bleach. Yeah. You don't want me to? I'm <laughs> definitely gonna. Hey, it's not me. The label on the bleach says not to do it. So that's... Oof. Yeah. Fuck, fuck big bleach. I'm gonna <laughs> drink it now. So here's one that doesn't have to do um, – here's one of their billboards. Michelle Bachman says God told her to run for president. How come God never talks to smart people anymore? That's not – that doesn't have to do with storage. That's just like <laughs> – <laughs> um, 
Here's another. Why? Oh, this is so. This one has to do with storage because you know Manhattan people they run out of storage in their tiny apartments. Why leave a city that has six professional sport teams and also the Mets? Like that's funny. Holy that's funny. shit! Okay, that's that's really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but here's another one. If you don't like gay marriage, don't get gay married. That used to be one of their on one of their billboards, which I totally agree with. But again, what does it have to do with storage? You know. <laughs> exactly. So one of the things. Uh, <laughs> One of the quintessential, one of the most quintessential New York taglines they came up with, and it is pretty brilliant. Remember, if you leave the city, you'll have to live in America. <laughs> oh, God. Which is pretty great. I mean, whoever came up with that deserves uh, deserves something, an award. Remember, if you leave the city, you'll have to live in America. So instead, put all your crap in, in our storage. <laughs> yeah, so just a, a weird uh, early mini dive on, on Manhattan mini storage I found interesting. Um, so, uh, like I said, this one is still there at 530, 543 West 43rd Street, a 12-square-foot uh, thing. It's actually pretty affordable, $29 a month for 12 square feet. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, 12 square feet is nothing. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, <laughs> that Tim, that's like, I mean, it's, I don't even know, it's probably a one-foot deep storage space. So you open a door and it's just shelves. <laughs> That that's a two foot by six foot door. Oh yeah, I guess I forgot the upwards. Because yeah, twelve. Yeah, probably is. When I was looking at it, yeah, maybe it is. So seventy square feet is four hundred fifty dollars a month. So, but twelve square feet doubles the apartment size of some some New York City apartments. So (laughs) might be worth the extra twenty nine bucks to hold on to that desk or whatever you want to cram in there. Yeah, if you if you literally just need like an extra closet, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, some place to store your sweaters and and then your t shirts are in your apartment and then you flip flop them and yeah, that might work. Yeah, for Um, real. But you know, maybe Jerry has one of these because when he opens his storage door, you run directly into shelves. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's the 12 foot, 12 square foot model. Uh, <laughs> so they, they pull up to his storage locker. Kramer is coughing. He's got this hacking cough that he says, uh, you know, it's coughing, Jerry. It, it expels diseased germs out of the, the body and <laughs> into the air. And what a timely, what a timely episode to be watching. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jerry rented out half of his storage unit to Kramer who rented half of that out to Newman. That's why he doesn't have his key. And as Jerry opens his tiny storage locker, a bunch of mailbags fall out because Newman is uh, storing mailbags in there, evidently. I I, I loved the idea that Kramer has, I'm guessing, half, so six <laughs> of the feet in this, in this storage unit, and he then rented half of his half to Newman. I know. I would love if Newman rented half to somebody else and we just get smaller <laughs> and smaller little tiny parts of this. I would have loved that. Oh my god. And that could have been like you wouldn't need to do much work for that to be a, a good C plot. Yeah, you know? Yeah. But then again, it would take away from like the distraught Newman yeah, uh, yeah. story. Yeah, it would have been funny if they needed an extra gag, but if like if some guy showed up with like a, a baseball and was like, oh I'm I'm gonna I'm storing this uh souvenir baseball in my section of this storage locker well where'd you get yours oh bob sacramento rented half of his to me like where'd bob sacramento get half like he rented his half from lomez you know like have it go down like... <laughs> and, and then lomez rented half from newman <laughs> yeah, or something. yeah exactly and and all that that last guy has is like a little cube with a baseball in it just a, just a couple square inches yeah of space. <laughs> uh so over at george's new apartment he is looking it over. He's even holding a lamp. He's like got a rolling chair in there. He's ready to move in. 
And then the tenant association president comes in, Mrs. Riccardi. And this is where I was like, okay, so George doesn't recognize her. So this is a new building. Wouldn't he know the tenant association president? Um, I would think so. Um, but also, uh, I, I don't know if you caught we the footage they use for outside of his building. We've never seen that footage before. Ah, uh, yeah, that's that's one of the other reasons I thought it was a new building. But then later yeah. on, we see the exterior that we have seen before, and that just confused me even more. I'm like, where are we? Someone yeah, tell it was, me. It was very confusing. Yeah, and, and then the fact that he so different exterior. <laughs> A tenant and association president he doesn't recognize. I'm like, oh, new building. Good. Okay, I'm glad we have that settled. And then later I was <laughs> reconfused. But Mrs. Riccardi tells George that the resident in 8C uh, decided he wants the apartment, Clarence Eldridge, and he's an Andrea Doria survivor. So they're going to give it to him because he's already dealt with so much hardship in his life. And George is like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, quite a fire. And she goes, shipwreck. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and George walks out dejected. Uh, and this is where I noticed, too, another um, geographical oddity. He walks out of the apartment 608, and she said that Clarence Eldridge lives in 8C. It seems like there's two different um, <sighs> numbering systems going on here. God damn it. I, I, hate, I, I hate it. Yeah. You figure 8C would be on the 8th floor, and it'd be apartment C, and 608 yeah. would be the 8th apartment on the 6th floor. Why two different numbering <laughs> systems in, in one building? I sure hope somebody got fired for that blunder. Uh, how hard would it have been in the script to say the guy in eight hundred three wants this? So sorry, you can't. Or, have... or just, or have the the set deck yeah. be like, oh yeah, six B. Yeah, somebody, some continuity person should have noticed. I mean, not that it's a big deal to anybody, but two guys doing a podcast. But I mean, like, it's just such a small thing to make right, you know. Have some pride in your work. That's what it is. It's it's, it's very small. Yeah. It's a very small thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with the episode, the plot, or anything. But you know, it's just just have some plot and or have some <laughs> have some pride in the background work of your of your show. Uh, we cut to a restaurant. This particular one, uh, shout out to Maps About Nothing, is at 100 West Houston Street. It is not there anymore. I couldn't even see what the title of this restaurant was. Later on, we find the name of it. I don't think it's the actual name. Uh, I think that was just for a gag. But uh, now it is a place called Jane. The same columns are there. That's what really helps me out when I look at Google Street View a lot of times. I'm like, these buildings, even though they, you know, change some of the exterior. I mean, those those columns that you see in, next to this restaurant, they're still there to this day. The restaurant's now called huh. Jane. And they serve brunch, lunch, dinner, and cocktails, as it says on their bright blue awning. Uh, Do they only play the song Jane when you're walking outside? Which one? Uh... Is it the Jefferson the Starship? The one from the beginning. Or maybe Jefferson Airplane. The one from uh, the Wet Hot American Summer, the beginning of Wet Hot American Summer. Have you seen that or not? I always forget. I have not seen it, but I think it is. Uh, oh, it is Jefferson Starship. Jefferson Starship. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, well, they could play Jane and they could play Jane Says by, now who's that? Perry Farrell. Is that Porno for Pyros or his other band? I was, Jane. Oh, I don't want to sing it. Jane Where's says. <laughs> Jane's addiction. Jane's oh. addiction. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, good. This audio is going to come through my headphones so we don't have to take it off. Oh, okay. That, I, I don't know if they play only songs that have the word Jane in them, but we know there's at least two. That they, oh, yep. They could blare. That, that's, defi that's definitely it. This is the one I'm thinking of. Oh, okay. This Jefferson Starship one. Yes. Yeah, I love that song. The first time I heard it was uh, probably, well, the first time I noticed it was probably Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> 
Um, Elaine is there waiting for her setup date, and the waiter tells her that Alan Mercer called and he can't make it because he's been stabbed. Do you want some more bread? <laughs> <laughs> also, the waiter, oh my God, just so menacingly says this. Yeah. Made me think he's the one who stabbed Alan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's been stabbed right outside the restaurant. <laughs> I'm sorry. He he can't make it. He's been stabbed. He's been stabbed. <laughs> uh, more bread? <laughs> more bread. Up in the apartment. Yeah, maybe that was why, just to really get the juxtaposition of those two <laughs> lines. Uh, up in the apartment, Elaine is telling Jerry about Alan being stabbed by an ex-girlfriend, and it makes him even more attractive to Elaine. Um, also, before we get too far into this scene... Um, I love, like, how many times do we see, like, they cut to a new scene, and, like, one of the characters is just catching someone up, and, like, yeah. they're just talking about the same thing. Uh, but the first line we hear is Jerry say, you ate more bread? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a really good way into the, to connect the two <laughs> scenes, but also to, to have a little joke started out. You ate more bread? That's not the point. The point was he was stabbed by an ex-girlfriend. Uh, and... You know, Elaine says being stab worthy is a compliment. You know, the <laughs> fact that this guy elicits this passion out of these women, you know, she's like, and I, yeah. And I love Jerry's like, well, too bad he didn't get shot. He could have been the one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kramer uh, comes in and opens <laughs> some food that Jerry bought and again, just coughs all over oh it. Oh my God. His cough was so disgusting and visceral. <laughs> Not only that, but like he eyes it up. It looks like a piece of pie. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, oh, no, no expiration date on this, huh? <laughs> well, there is now. He doesn't cover his mouth one time this whole episode. No. And I'm like, even pre-pandemic, people did that. Like, cover your mouth when you cough, <laughs> you know? It just was so... But even in a post-COVID world, it was, like, super difficult to watch. It was, like, triggered each time Kramer oh, my coughed God. with his mouth wide open, just, like, all over people <laughs> and everything. Um, and Kramer is not going to go to the doctor because, uh, you know, he doesn't trust him. Plus, they botched his vasectomy. He's more potent than ever now. How does that happen? I I want to know how Kramer knows this. Yeah, really? I want to know, like, uh, I mean, we've discovered early on in this podcast that Kramer fucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, how many people has Kramer gotten pregnant to <laughs> From the time he got his vasectomy to now, to know that he is more potent compared to the amount of people that he has gotten pregnant uh, prior to his vasectomy. It, it has to have gone up then, right? I think it's gone way up because I remember the episode where he thinks, where he stops wearing uh, tidy whities because his sperm count is low. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Jerry asked him, he's like, hey, you never, you never slip one past the goalie? And Kramer says, I think he says no at that point, because then he asks Jerry, he's like, well, you have? And then Jerry goes, I'm sorry, those records are permanently sealed. Um, <laughs> so I'm thinking between the vasectomy and now, he's gotten everybody pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe everybody, because it was never a problem before. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, God. Now I'm just picturing a world of Kramer babies. <laughs> yeah. Um, George comes in and he breaks the news about how he's not getting the apartment anymore. Uh, Elaine and Jerry have a very Seinfeldian conversation about the Andrea Doria, the Edmund Fitzgerald, Gordon Lightfoot, <laughs> and Cat Stevens. And this one I didn't mind. I, I kind of liked it. Even though it's not the typical Seinfeld repeat the same word over and over again, it was a confusing circular conversation and it wasn't, and it was, and it wasn't played for laughs, even though it was funny. 
they didn't do it like they did yeah, they, in the bunk conversation last week. They all, uh, all of the characters played it uh, as though they seriously thought these things. Yeah, yeah. I love Elaine's like, I love Edmund Fitzgerald's voice. She thinks that Edmund Fitzgerald <laughs> did a song called the Andrea Doria. And George, uh, Jerry's like, no, that's Gordon Lightfoot. She's like, I think that's the name of the boat. He's like, yeah, and it ran into the Cat Stevens. Yeah, and then that's it. It's just <sighs> a little, yeah. It's just little... But then Kramer just chiming in <laughs> yeah. uh, with, what What exactly did he say? Oh, the Andrea Doria was a ship that collided with the Stockholm in dense fog 12 miles off the coast of Nantucket. Yeah, it was awesome. As he's as he's eating his cough pie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his germ pie, his corona pie. Uh, <laughs> and they're like, how do you know that? He's like, it's in my book, Astonishing Tales of the Sea. <laughs> And then he says, 51 people died. And George goes, that's it? And there were 1,660 survivors. And George says, that's no tragedy. I love that he's like, how many do you lose on a normal cruise? 30, 40? (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so he's like, I, they're off to get the book. He's like, I got to see this book because, you know, you hear a shipwreck. You just think Titanic level immediately. But no, this was like, yeah, I mean, it's people died. But George is like, and he's getting this apartment over me because of that. <laughs> uh, and Jerry tells Kramer to get Newman to get his mail out. And Kramer goes, oh, yeah, he's not going to do that. He's not going to do it. <laughs> Perfect way to bookend this scene, I thought, because it just came out of nowhere. W- what did? The the line about Newman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, because it's all in the final like five seconds. Jerry's like, "Oh yeah, did you talk to Newman about the thing? Oh, your mail? No, he's not going to do it." Yeah, and it, it gets us to the next scene, which is great. Uh, by the way, another great thing about this scene, I love all four were in the same room. All four were in Jerry's apartment, and I just love that because you know it, it happens less times than you'd think when all everybody's in the same room, and I just love that uh, that they're, they're kind yeah, of especially doing that. especially the later we get into the series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we'll have like two or three of them at the at monks. But it's just so rare we're all four in the same room, I feel like. And so I, I like it. And here's a news flash, Ted. Get ready for this. Superman is on the shelf, but not on the fridge. What? Yes. I reround. Oh, and I was like, maybe no. they just moved it. It's like, maybe it's moved to the, the, the other door, lower. No. I, we get uh, a great, amazing shots of wherever this uh, magnet could be. And from what I saw, it was not on the fridge anymore. Wow. Yeah. Some uh, some some production staffers fucking with us. <laughs> yeah, from the past. <laughs> <laughs> They're going back and erasing it. If we went back and watched all the episodes from season seven, <laughs> Superman's not on the bookshelf anymore. What happened? We changed it. We've changed the past somehow. So so in order to get something done himself, Jerry goes up to Newman's apartment, and Newman is sitting on the couch, depressed about not getting transferred to Hawaii, and he's like, "So I'm you know I'm not gonna." not going to work for them anymore. He's like, oh, you're quitting? He's like, well, no, I'm still collecting checks. I'm just not delivering mail. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Uh, We cut to the park where Kramer is hacking up a lung, uh, sitting on a bench, and again, not covering his mouth, and literally like almost working to expel germs farther than they would if he sat still. Like, he's almost like propelling leaning, them. Yeah. Leaning forward, like, he's throwing his germs. Exactly. He's trying to throw them as far as possible. <laughs> yeah, these aerosol. <laughs> you know, I could definitely see Kramer believing, you know, I have to throw the germs as far away from me as possible so they don't come back. Yeah, otherwise you'll just inhale them again. That's a great point. Exactly. <laughs> I could totally see that Kramer logic. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, a guy walking a couple dogs passes by, and one of the dogs has a cough that sounds exactly like Kramer. 
Uh, we cut to the restaurant once again where Elaine is talking to Alan Mercer and she's talking with her hands and waving her knife around and he's I thought his, his oh little physical figure was really Wait. funny. He won't take his eyes off and he keeps moving his head around. Just waving it so emphatically, just like uh just dotting every sentence with like with almost <laughs> with a stab, stab motion. motion. Yeah. Oh my god. And at that point a girl comes by and throws a cup of hot coffee in Alan's face. And Elaine's like, oh my gosh, was that the one that stabbed you? He's like, no, different girl. So now this is two women. Was, was it coffee or was it wine? Because I wasn't sure. But either way, if you got it in your eyes, it would suck. Yeah. His reaction, his extreme reaction made me think it had to have been coffee. But yeah, mm, I, don't, I, I okay. didn't get a good look at it either. But yeah, something something hot, it seems like, would have been worse than, yeah, just something. Yeah. But I don't know. His reaction camp. is also yeah. sort of like... I don't know. I guess if you got burned with hot coffee on the face, maybe it was just wine and he was like, oh, you know, it was that kind of cold. Now I don't know. Damn it, man. Hmm. I, I just assumed it was coffee. But I would like I was like, maybe he wasn't freaking out enough for hot coffee. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's like really hot coffee and he's just like, yeah. no, you know, that was just another ex-girlfriend. Yeah, I'm like. Sir, your skin is melting off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like restaurant quality industrial coffee maker hot coffee. <laughs> like Sue McDonald's over at Hot Coffee, which they, you know. Like this is 500 degrees <laughs> yeah. right now, and it's dripping down your nose. And you're like, nah, it's just my other ex-girlfriend. What a weird coincidence. And I thought coffee sounded weird because they weren't on the coffee portion of the dinner yet. Like they're still eating their meal, which I'm like, who has coffee at a restaurant in the evening like that's a dessert thing maybe so that, yeah that's what made me think it was wine yeah, yeah. was the, was i'm like i mean it's it's dinner elaine's obviously eating something that requires a knife to cut yeah yeah you know i'm not even gonna... and, and she and she's talking about shrimp yeah she's here. eating shrimp and yeah coffee is weird i think i'm just gonna say i'm just gonna i've, I've been switched to wine and uh okay. i'm not even gonna go back and look <laughs> I don't care that much. If someone is on this episode and you see it, let us know. Like, take a take an elder millennial screenshot with your phone and, and send it to at no hugging. Um, if there's a definitive answer. Uh, and over at Monks, Elaine says, "All right, so I called the person that set us up, and she says Alan is a bad breaker upper. Uh, he says mean things and he means them during a breakup." <laughs> As opposed to other people, you know how you say mean things during a breakup, but you don't mean them? He says mean things, and he means them. Uh, and Elaine can't be with someone who doesn't break up well. Uh, that's one of the most important parts of a relationship. <laughs> Which I think is like a, a kind of a, a funny, you know, definitely a mission statement of this whole group. It's like breaking up is one of the most important parts of any relationship. You know, like that's the way they see everything. It's not like, oh, I'm looking for the one. I want to find somebody to to settle down with. It's like, no, I'm I, I'm... Look, I want to be with this person until I break up with them. That's that's the point of dating. Yeah. Out on the street, Kramer is walking the dog Smuckers. They run into George. He borrowed Smuckers because Smuckers has the same cough. And he's going to have the dog checked out at the vet and then take whatever medication. As George, George is like, let me just skip ahead and you're going to take dog medication? And uh, yeah, because I don't know whether it was here or earlier when Kramer says that he trusts vets more because they have to look at you know, dogs and cats and goats and turtles oh, and yeah. fish, uh, sometimes all on the same day. But human doctors only deal with humans. <laughs> yeah, that was that was here. That was this that was scene. right here. Yeah. Um, so it's so he's going to take the dog to the vet and essentially be diagnosed by the vet. <laughs> I want to know, how did Kramer borrow the dog? Yeah, that's a very trusting guy. <laughs> Can I borrow your dog? Who, who just willingly in New York City 
gives up their dog to a strange coughing man in the park. Yeah. Like, hey, can I borrow your dog for the afternoon? <laughs> so here's my if they if I was in the writer's room and we needed this scene. I would say, all right, this guy is a dog walker for some rich New Yorker. So they're not his dogs. And Kramer gave him 50 bucks, you know, just to, and promised to have the dog back uh, later in the day or whatever. You know, so this guy's like, all right, my, uh, you know, my boss or this person gets home at five. The dog has to be back. I'll meet you at their apartment at 430. So as long as you have the dog back by 430 and you give me 100 bucks or whatever, uh, I'll let you borrow Smuckers. That's my, that's yeah. my head cannon. Yeah. If we needed it. But, you know, we don't. <laughs> I, I guess we don't. Yeah, yeah we, we can always just assume something like that it's, happened. Yeah. We don't. We don't need to see it on camera. It's just like the odd numbering system in. <laughs> in the, yeah, in exactly. Apartment building, um, <laughs> and uh, George is walking into his what would be his new apartment, uh, and he sees Mr. Eldridge moving in, and I love he says, "Ahoy, Mr. Eldridge," and <laughs> in, in, he's taught, and he begins talking very condescendingly about the Andrea Doria wreck, accusing him of making much more of a bigger deal of it than it actually was he's like uh, the boat sank and he was like according to this book it took 10 hours to sink uh, like an old man sinking into a hot bath or something he said oh my god yeah but cr- I, yeah. I i i loved the line like once eldridge like he's like i'm i'm starting to think this is about you wanting the apartment george just gives like a, a look and doesn't say anything <laughs> Um, I think Eldred says, like, I don't like you very much. He closes the door, but I loved George screaming, It's my apartment, Eldridge. The Stockholm may not have sunk you, but I will. <laughs> yeah. That and was then great. his laugh after that? <laughs> Did you catch his laugh? No, I too? didn't. What was it? His laugh was like a uh the Stockholm may not have sunk you, but I will. Ha ha ha! Ha ha! It was the best, like, super villain laugh I think I've ever heard Jason Alexander do. It was a great line and, and, a, and a good laugh. At Downtown Veterinary Clinic, which was at 148 Ninth Avenue, is still open, but you'll have to go uh, block over. It's now at 244 Ninth Avenue. Hmm. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's still there. And 148 Ninth Avenue is covered in scaffolding. I, I can't tell what's there right now, but they're doing, whenever the Google Maps uh, car drove by, they were doing some pretty extensive renovation on it. So I don't know what's there now. Uh, I think nothing. And Kramer is giving, you know, the, do- the, the vet is examining the dog, but Kramer is giving his symptoms to the vet. Like, it hurts when he swallows orange juice. He's like, oh, I mean, uh, dog food <laughs> juice, <laughs> which I thought was so hilarious. Dog food juice. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, not uh, dog food juice when he swallows his dog food juice. And the other thing I thought was hilarious throughout this whole episode was the way they did the ADR every time the dog coughed and they put the human cough over it. I thought that was so funny, too. I was like, that's so dumb. And so, like, I don't know what the dog noise actually was, but the fact that mm-hmm. um, they just put a uh, over it was every time that happened and they would close up on the dog i was like that's just hilarious uh, it, it looks as though they filmed the dog just like barking yeah yeah like, you know it doesn't look like it's coughing at all yeah not even a full on bark but just like one of those you know like one of those barks yeah and then they put the cough over it. yeah the dog one million percent was not coughing but i just love the no. human sounding cough oh I, I wonder if we're gonna find out the cough was larry david i sure hope it was I hope oh, we get an answer God. on that. <laughs> oh, wait, or Alec Berg. Or Alec, I was going to say Larry David. Would they call him back to set just to do a cough? Probably not. The, that'd be great. I doubt it. I know. <laughs> I know. I forgot. I forgot we're post-Larry. <laughs> no more post-Larry ADR. Wait, he's still going to do Steinbrenner. 
does this mean we're not going to see Steinbrenner again? We have to. Have we seen Steinbrenner this season yet? I don't think so. I don't so. think we have. No, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe we're done with Steinbrenner. Wow. Yeah, maybe. Um, and the vet asks if he's like, well, we've been seeing a lot of this. Uh, been drinking from the toilet. And Kramer, who has been talking about himself, goes, what? What? No. <laughs> because, you know, he forgot that the dog <laughs> like was that, there. It's like, that's disgusting. That's disgusting. No. <laughs> uh, over at Monk's, <laughs> Elaine is, you know, telling Alan that they're not going to see each other anymore. But he says, oh, you're breaking up with me. And she's like, breaking up. We went out on one date. And Alan uh, <laughs> is sitting there fuming until he gets up to leave and calls Elaine a big head. Uh, your head is too big for your body. And Elaine's like, that's all you got? And just kind of laughs him out of monks. Uh, in the apartment, Jerry tells George to go tell the board some astonishing tales of Costanza. If they're so impressed with suffering, that's all George's life has been, is suffering. <laughs> <laughs> and and th- it's at this point that Newman knocks on the door. Jerry opens it and gives it, I'm with people, I'll be with you in a moment, and then slams it back um, in his face. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, that was so great. good, so good. And and he doesn't even have anything else to say to George. Like, uh, you want a protein shake or something? Uh, nah, better. Uh, I better get started on this uh, apartment. <laughs> like, they just have another. Like, it's barely a conversation, and then George leaves, and and Newman comes in, and Hawaii is back on because the other guy who got it was busted hoarding Victoria's Secret catalogs. Uh, <laughs> but now he needs to deliver all that mail, all eight bags. And uh, he's like, oh, eight? That's going to be impossible when tacked onto my usual one. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, this is another episode where Jerry takes aim at the Postal Service. We've seen it before. He just has it out for the USPS is just full of lazy degenerates who can't do any lazy idiot degenerates who can't do anything right. And uh, this is another episode where that's where that is on full display. Uh, And Jerry's like, I love this line. You're going to give up that easy. And Newman goes, I usually do. I really felt that. (laughs) (laughs) I usually do. (laughs) It's been working out for me. (laughs) I really felt that. Uh, And Jerry's like, but you moving to Hawaii is my dream too. And so Jerry and Newman agree to an alliance. And we do get a little Seinfeldian thing here where Newman's like, what are you going to, what could you do? And Jerry's like, I'll do whatever it takes, as long as it takes, wherever it takes wherever me. Wherever it takes me. As long as it takes you, as far away from me, whatever. You know, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't too groany, but we do get a little uh, Seinfeldian moment there. So back in the apartment, Jerry says about Newman, this is my, I think he's talking to Elaine here. Um, he says, my, this is my sworn enemy living right near my home. It was so oddly delivered. I'm like, is this a reference to something? It, it mm, seemed like a takeoff on some sort of political speech or a moment in a like Patton style movie. And it, my sworn enemy living inches from my home or something like that. I'm going to uh, write that down for next week. What did he Could say? this have been a Cold War sleeper agent thing? Yeah, it's got to be a reference to something because it was delivered with such, um, you know, uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? Deliberate. Yeah, it was so deliberately delivered that I'm like, it's got to be from something. So I'll put it in there, the sworn enemy yeah. quote. And Jerry agrees with Elaine that saying you have a big head is no big deal. That's almost a compliment. Uh, and <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's not even going to, uh, not getting to her at all. George calls from monks and he can't go to the coffee shop even though he's obviously calling from the coffee shop payphone i don't know why i mean he is meeting his parents there later we find out but it's weird that um he calls and says he has to cancel on jerry and elaine so elaine leaves 
uh, because uh, George called because he has to work on his uh, presentation to the uh, the tenant board. And Kramer comes in and he has these dog pills that he just can't take. And this also, I had to rewind because it was so funny. <laughs> and this is all before Jerry knows that they're dog pills. <laughs> yeah, too. yeah. Because he grabs him like a dog and he has to, you know, like he puts the pill in his mouth and, and holds his muzzle shut. And then like, uh, you know, just like you. And as soon as he lets his mouth go, Kramer spits out the pill. Um, <laughs> as a dog owner yourself, Ted, you must have thought it was even funnier than I did. I, I thought this was hilarious. <laughs> but also, Bosco does not mind taking pills. Oh, you, you're very lucky like, I hear. He he slipped down the stairs uh, uh like two months ago, yeah. and we had, we took him to the vet, and uh, they said uh, nothing's nothing's wrong, nothing's pulled or sore or, or strained, um or he's he's just sore uh, is what they said. So they gave him like a week and a half worth of painkillers. Mm-hmm. I would just give him like half of a pill and a treat in my hand, and he would eat them both, no problem. Ah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, you're very lucky from what I've uh, heard from dog owners. You know, you, you have to wrap it in, in a meatball or something, and, and then they still, you know, they'll chew everything, and somehow the pill doesn't have one tooth mark on it. Like, how? How is that possible? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I just thought, I mean, again, Michael Richards is just brilliant in this episode on many accounts. Jerry has to run some errands, and so he's like, you want to go? And then Kramer's like, oh, I don't know. He's like, and then Jerry starts shaking his keys. Come on, come on. You want to go for a ride? Come on. Come on. Oh, my <laughs> and he, God. And then Kramer hightails it out the door. <laughs> uh, in a cab, the cabbie makes Elaine move her head because he can't see out the back until she is, like, basically slunk down below the seat line. This is where <laughs> she starts kind of thinking there might be some stock in that big head comment. <laughs> but also, what kind of person sits in the middle seat with no one else in the car? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of weird. You could have at least you could have scooted over <laughs> to one side, I think, pretty easily. <laughs> Like, oh, okay, oh, sorry, I'll get out of the way. Scoot scoot over. Be comfortable. Over in Jerry's car, Kramer, this is this was, again, so funny. He's, like, climbing around in the back seat like a dog. I mean, Michael Richards just, like, became possessed by a dog in this episode. It's so, the body language is so funny. Uh, and, and he realizes, he's like, wait a second. This isn't the way to the park. You're taking me to the doctor. <laughs> I, I recognize this block. Yeah, I recognize this block. What, what was the trend on Twitter a couple of weeks ago? It's like, no matter the role, he understood the assignment. <laughs> I don't remember that, but yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't see that one. But yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just, it's so funny. Um, and, and even and Jerry's like, you know, acting like an owner. Like he's not saying anything. He's just like giving Kramer some side eye. Like, I uh, uh, hope he doesn't know, you know, he's on to me. This isn't the way to the park. Uh, over at Monks, George is talking to his parents and they're arguing about how drafty where they're sitting is. We want to move. No, we have a booth. Uh, I don't want to sit in a table like the booth. And George <laughs> begins by asking about his childhood. And then the after the arguing is all done, he's like, well, okay, George, you want to know something about your childhood? He's like, actually, uh, I think I'm pretty I clear I'm on good. it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, this was great. Yeah, anytime we get some of George's parents is great. Oh, out on the street, Jerry pulls Kramer out of the car. Again, Kramer doesn't want to get out of the car, much like a dog at the vet uh, who knows where he is. Uh, pulls Kramer out of the car, and then Kramer runs off aimlessly down the street. <laughs> Again, very dog-like. Uh, George's new apartment, uh, Mr. Eldridge is telling his story of the Andrea Doria while George is drumming on the wall like not paying attention at all not giving him any respect uh and then when he's done telling the story about the lifeboat 
uh, uh, rescuing him. George gets up and shoes him out of the chair. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And we cut to Newman's where he's icing his ankle because Kramer bit him. They got in a fight and Kramer <laughs> bit him on the ankle. The ankle is another funny place to be bit. Like, it wasn't the shoulder where Kramer would bite a guy shorter than him. It was his ankle is where he bit him. <laughs> And Jerry, Jerry will deliver the mail. And this is another great shot at the post office for some reason, but you can't deliver the mail. It's a, it's a laughable concept to Newman. And Jerry goes, why not? He's like, oh, I guess it is just walking around and putting it in the boxes. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I guess so. you, you delivering mail. Why not? Oh, but yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I also loved uh, Newman saying, I'll give you my uniform for my rookie year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so Jerry is in Newman's rookie year uniform delivering mail on a Sunday. So one of the clerks goes, mail on a Sunday? And Jerry goes, oops. <laughs> and then he gives a giant pile of mail to a homeless guy. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this was just funny how into he's got the little wheelie uh, mail pouch carrier and he's in the full get up it's just a funny shot of jerry seinfeld he's whistling uh yeah it's it's just hilarious back in george's new apartment george is we get like a montage of george recounting stories that we've seen before like being robbed by the woman who handcuffed him to the bed that was from back in season three episode 13 the subway a woman who found him very attractive but turned out to be a nazi <laughs> That was uh, from the limo, season three, episode nineteen, being caught uh, having shrinkage in the Hamptons, which was season five, episode twenty, uh, being caught with the marble rye on a fishing pole. That was season seven, episode eleven, the rye. And the board is getting very emotional, and he's like, "All right, well, uh, you know, that's uh, you know, uh, these stories are not embellished. It's uh, actually my life." And as he gets up, he has a closer. He's like, "Oh." And my fiance died licking toxic envelopes that I picked out. Thanks again. <laughs> it was like almost like the last line of a stand-up bit, you know? <laughs> I, Tim, I can't state to you how much I loved how these were not embellished real things <laughs> yeah. that happened to George. Yeah. Because, I mean, we, we've we've seen him, like, playing up things to get what he wants. No, these are all things that happened to George throughout the run of the show. Th yeah. This guy has had an awful life over the last eight and a half seasons. And I think a lot of what keeps George going is I feel, again, I feel another, this isn't because of George that I feel this way, but I found myself like just not being able to remember the really bad things that have happened to me. Whenever I look back on times when I've been really angry or, you know, I felt like my life was going bad. Later on, when I look back, I'm like, what was so bad about that? Like, I, yeah. I, man, I made it, I really hated it at the time, but now I can't remember. And I think that's what keeps George going. <laughs> if he dwelled on just one of the things that ever happened to him, like, I think it, it would just wreck him. But I think the reason that he has a very successful job with the Yankees right now and is able to get up in the morning and look at himself in the mirror is because he doesn't dwell on these things. But I feel like while he was delivering these stories, even his emotion was not embellished because he, I, I don't think he's taken stock of his life like that before. But when he's like, you know, uh, at that point I was handcuffed to the bed and she was robbing me. Like if you, if you really examine your life like that and, and like do a personal inventory, you know, I, I think he was starting to get like legitimately depressed himself, <laughs> but for some, but George like just perseveres despite all of that, you know, like uh, yeah. The, yeah. outside of that, this is the first time I think he's ever considered the past at all in that way. Um, so yeah. And, and then his closer, Oh, my fiance died licking toxic envelopes that I picked out. Thanks again. <laughs> the thanks again was just excellent. Thanks again. 
See you next time. Uh, up in Jerry's apartment, Newman is telling. Oh, I'm sorry. Up in Newman's apartment, Newman is telling Jerry, uh, you know, to to stuff it all in the box, just crease, crumple, and cram. <laughs> and, oh my! God. And then he answers his hot dog phone, which I thought was awesome. And it is the vice president of the post office. And they know Newman is out of Hawaii, the out of the Hawaii transfer. They know it wasn't Newman who was delivering the mail because too many people got their mail. Uh, which I'm guessing, like, because the vice president of the post office didn't say this. I'm guessing this is Newman's trying to figure out how they knew it wasn't him on his route. Yeah, yeah. Or or did the vice president say too many people got their mail? I think it's that too many. What do you think? I think it's the vice president literally knew it wasn't Newman because too many people got their mail. Because he says 80%. He was like, 80% of the people got their mail. He's like, no one at the post office ever cracked 50. <laughs> <laughs> So I think, Which yeah. I want to know. I want to know how did eighty percent of the people get their mail when Jerry gives one piece of mail to one person and then a giant stack to a homeless man. I think after that's all we see. Yeah, I think after eight, if he, you know, if he, I think getting rid of twenty percent of mail would still be a ton of mail. You know, so I think that's very, you know, that's not great. It should be a hundred for crying out loud. That's what we expect. But no one's ever cracked fifty. And Kramer calls, uh, I mean, Newman calls Jerry a disgrace to the uniform, takes the hat off and rips the patch off the coat. And Jerry goes, you know, this is your coat, right? (laughs) Jerry almost breaks here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, like right before, right before he says, you know, this is your coat. We we see like him crack a smile. Yeah, yeah. He smirks. He gives the Seinfeld smirk. (laughs) Uh, I I had to look it up, too, because I was like, vice president of the post office sounds like bullshit. (laughs) It sounds like a made-up uh, yeah, title. Because I know there's the Postmaster General. That's who's in charge. Uh-huh. Uh, but there are several vice president positions under the Postmaster oh. General at the at the U.S. Postal Service. Yeah, I did not expect to find that. But there's you know an executive <laughs> VP. There's a vice president of communications. Basically, if you have the director, instead of director, it seems like they use vice president. You know, So like director of oh, communications okay. is the vice president of communications or whatever. So yeah, I was but, honestly but we surprised don't know. to see that. But we don't know which VP it was that called Newman. Yes, that's the one funny the part. the vice president. Yeah, it makes it makes it sound like that's the person directly under the postmaster general. But from what <laughs> I can tell from their hierarchy, all the vice presidents are just like on the same level under the postmaster general. So the, the vice president of the post office is still kind of funny. Oh, the, the vice president of the post office. Um, at the park, a bird flies directly into the back of Elaine's head like he couldn't avoid it. Uh, so says an older gentleman that is sitting on the bench. <laughs> Never seen anything like that before. Uh, over at Monk's, George is very encouraged after the board meeting. He can tell, you know, all, all that Eldridge has was this little shipwreck and George had, uh, you know, all these stories of suffering. Uh, Elaine comes in wearing a scarf on her giant freak head, as she puts it. <laughs> And the only thing to do, Elaine has to show Alan that it doesn't bother her. So she has to go out with him again and show him that it's not a big deal to her at all, that it's not getting to her, uh, even though it is. Uh, Over at the restaurant, Alan says that, you know, oh, yeah, what's the deal with the... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Here, uh, Well, she says, like, she has to pretend that it doesn't bother her or, you know, jam a fork into his forehead. Right, right. Yeah, either way. So at the restaurant, Alan says the big head... You know, it's no Elaine is like laughing it off. Oh my gosh, what are you talking like? You know, uh, and Elaine's like, yeah. And the big head goes well with the bump on your nose. 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> and that's him not breaking up. That's just him being blunt, <laughs> you know? That, that That's him being a normal human yeah. male. That's him on a date, like, trying to impress a woman. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, out on the street, a woman, uh, you know, Kramer is walking down the street, and a woman runs out of the restaurant and yells to him <laughs> that some big head woman is beating up some guy. And Kramer runs off and finds some cops. And he, well, well oh, hang, yeah. hang, hang on. The, the waitress tells Kramer, she's like, go get the police. Tell them it's at the old mill restaurant. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The old mill <laughs> restaurant. And so he, when he finds the cops, he barks. Uh, well, he coughs, but he's, you know, it sounds like a bark. And the cops are, are kind of talking to him Lassie style. Like, what's that? There's trouble? And, and then he barks, old mill. Trouble at the old mill? Where is it, boy? Lead the way. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the oh Lassie style God. ending. Uh, and we get one last little bit where George discovers that Alan Mercer is moving into the nice new apartment. Uh, neither George nor Mr. Eldridge. He's wearing a bandage because he got stabbed in the forehead with a fork <laughs> by Elaine. And and George is like, that's why they gave you the apartment? He's like, no, I gave the super $50. And George, you know, I think he says something about him wanting that apartment. He's like, well, tough luck, chinless. Oh, my God. Yeah. And as he closes the door, George examines uh, his chinless <laughs> nature. And that's <sighs> it. Boy, all right. What do we got for homework this week? Uh, I just wrote down whether that sworn enemy quote, anything had to do with that. I mean, uh, the good news is any question I would have about the Andrea Doria has pretty much been answered. I'm sure that there'll be yeah. some trivia and tidbits in our next episode about it. But luckily, we don't have to do hardly, you know, there's no official homework because we ne we learned everything we need to know. I'd never heard of the Andrea Doria before this episode, and this is still my only reference point for it. Yeah, th there was a lot of factual information about the Andrea Doria here. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I'm always going to remember it. Like, including number of survivors, number of fatalities, what happened, yeah. where it happened. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it was just a bigger deal because, you know, Nantucket, it, it's like, that's like the Martha's it, Vineyard it's area. It's a New York thing. It's, it, yeah, it, it's yeah. a New York thing, exactly. Yeah, um, but again, like, yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of it, so... Um, no like idea. if you if you were to ask someone, uh, I, I know you're not originally from Erie, but I'm sure you're familiar with the case, having lived up here for a few years. If you ask someone in New York City about the pizza bomber, right? Uh, they're probably not going to have any idea outside of the Netflix documentary. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't be t able to tell you as much about it as somebody from, yeah, the that area. Totally. Yeah, just a very regional thing. But I'm glad they you know they explained it well enough that we were all in on the joke in the episode. You know. <laughs> But I like that also, even though it's a New York thing, again, people don't know that much about it. George had heard of it. He thought it was a fire. It's actually a shipwreck, <laughs> you know, and then like, oh, yeah, I think I remember hearing something about that from at some point, you know. Uh, yeah, like yeah. He, he knew the name, but he wasn't sure what it was. Yeah, yeah. It was just this guy's a survivor of it. Yeah. So that's it. Uh, just the sworn enemy quote. All right, what do you like for cover art this week? I, I wasn't sure, because there's not really a defining physical bit here, uh, other than Kramer stuffing a hot dog and a pretzel into his <laughs> mouth, but that's so early on. Yeah. Um, I, I did kind of like uh, Jerry and Newman's handshake alliance. Uh, yeah. Because they, they both kind of give, like, a nice grin. Yeah. That's pretty good. I mean, it's tough to beat jerry delivering mail i mean that's pretty funny just that shot of him you know happily pushing the cart and swinging his arm and whistling uh that's pretty funny 
also that is good too. Jerry maybe trying to you know Jerry holding Kramer to give him the pill um, is kind of a funny <laughs> shot as well. Uh, yeah, it's it's all good. It's it's okay. Yeah. I'll 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 pick uh, pick something from those. Um, all right, uh, let's see what we can do about the description. Okay. Um, so we had George wants a better apartment. Semicolon. Jerry learns Newman is hiding mail. It's not bad. No, it's pretty good. It, <sighs> it, it all happens very quick, so it's not spoiling anything. Um, it, it tells you what's going on without telling you specifically. Yeah, yeah. I, the only thing I, would, I wish we could find is a better verb than wants. Like, George, um, it's just George wants a better apartment, right? Um, yeah. You know, something, just add some drama to that. Like, George's, I don't, I don't want to make it too wordy. George, face, George faces um, resistance when moving into a new apartment. George has competition yes. when moving to a new apartment. Or what about just George competes for a new apartment? Yeah, George, ha- George competes for a new apartment. There we go. Great, yes. That's awesome. Because, like, oh, what, what do they mean by competes? Yeah, oh, that's so, yeah. Love it. George competes for a new apartment. Jerry learns Newman is hiding mail. Then we, then, yeah, I don't mind that. Yeah, that the other two storylines are like almost just, you know, gimmies for cast members who really didn't need to be in this episode. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, did you like this episode? I wasn't sure what to think of it watching it. Uh, I, I watched it last night, which is sometimes a, a good idea for me, but also sometimes not. Yeah. I didn't like it enough to star it whenever I watched it but talking through it now I realized there was a lot of good in this episode yeah I, so I don't I don't know whether I would star it or not I I feel like if I did it would be like lower on the list that's exactly what I was thinking because it, I'm okay. almost glad that I starred the chicken roaster because you know that one for me I was like it's it's mostly just a, a nostalgic star like it's earned it you know it's done its time you know, it's it's like an honorary star at this point. It was not a bad episode, but it's it's given me a great baseline for what is a good episode now. And when I watched this, I was like, well, I liked it better than the roaster, so it must be a good so episode. You you liked it better than the roaster? Yeah, yeah, said? yeah. If it if it came so, down to these two being, this would be number five, and the roaster would be number six. Okay, see, like if I uh, just going like our last three because I have now starred the last three. Yeah, I would go three, two, one. I would do. Um, the Andrea Doria, the chicken roaster, the abstinence. The abstinence number one. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only thing I'd flip on that list is the Andrea Doria and the chicken roaster. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's exactly what uh, I, I've done the same thing. I've starred the last three, and that's that's where I would rank them right there. <sighs> Boy. Well, okay. Uh, next week, we've got season eight, episode 11, The Little Jerry. Um, I'm a little nervous about this one. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because we've already had an episode with uh, with shrinkage and uh, an episode where someone pulled it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, original air date, January 9th, 1997. So, um, oh, what, that would be two two weeks after this episode, I think? Yeah, a little Christmas uh, break there. Yeah, yeah. yeah like uh, uh, two weeks, I think. Um, if you're looking in TV Guide that night, you are going to see George finds the perfect woman, semicolon, Kramer gets a pet, semicolon elaine dates a bald man oh i love the long (laughs) the long long (laughs) i know you do i know you do uh we might not have (laughs) much work to do at the end of next episode so uh yeah lots gonna happen as you can hear so 
okay. Uh, is that it? <sighs> yeah, that's it. All right. For No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good. Thank you.